Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Genesis 13. We're going to read the first 12 verses. You need to kind of get the picture of what's going on here. So Abram, uh, which was his, Abraham's name before God changed it to Abraham. So uh, we're just going to call him Abraham, left Egypt, traveled north into the Negev, Uh, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Lot was his nephew, by the way. Abraham uh, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. So from the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This is the same place where Abraham had built the altar, and there at that altar, he worshiped the Lord again. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, became, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abraham and Lot with, their, with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. So finally, Abraham said to Lot, let's don't allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go left. So Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them and he went there with his flocks and his servants and he parted company with his uncle Abraham. And verse 12, so Abraham settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plains. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every detail. Thank you that you don't that, that it's the good, the bad, the ugly. You don't hide the hard stuff. You don't hide the difficult stuff, the unseemly stuff. I just thank you, Lord, that, it, that, that you're real with us. And Lord, that you want us to be real with you. Lord, would you help us today to be honest with ourselves and honest with you about what's going on in our lives. And Lord, that we'd open ourselves up to allow you to speak your word into our everyday life. That's why we're here today, Lord. I pray that you help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it. Lord, help us to hear this word today, not for our neighbors, not for our friends or family members, but for ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, probably for a couple of months now, we've been in a series called Patriarchs, Prophets, and Priests. And we're looking at the men and women of the Old Testament to to see the life lessons that we can take from their lives that will help us as we live our lives and as we learn to follow Jesus. So last week we started talking about Abraham, who is the ultimate patriarch of the Jewish people. Now, almost every time Abraham is mentioned in the Bible, 
the word, the word Abraham is associated with the word faith. Almost every time you see Abraham, you're going to see faith. Certainly in Hebrews 11, which is what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, he's the star of the show. Over and over again, it says, Abraham, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham did that. Abraham was not a perfect man, but he was a great man of faith. So last week, we started uh, this part of the series with a, with a message called Abraham living by faith. And today is a continuation of that message as we look into the life of Abraham. Now, I want us to look at one, this one specific uh, situation in Abraham's life today and help us understand what it means to live by faith. Now, in the passage we just read, Abraham, his nephew Lot, are having a problem. They've been blessed by God so much that the land won't sustain their cattle, their livestock. So there's just not enough grassland. There's just not enough watering places. So the shepherds are arguing with each other. They're fighting over the limited resources that they have, each one of them trying to be loyal to their own master. And it's just, it's just a problem. So it's, the handling, it's in the handling of this situation that we see what a life of faith really looks like. So I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's going to be conflicts in your life. Have y'all noticed that? Any honest people in here today? There's going to be times when resources get strained. There's going to get, be times when tensions arise in relationships. There's going to be times when life gets hard and decisions are going to have to be made. It's in those times that we find out what we really believe. Who you are when times get tough is who you really are, right? It's easy to be spiritual looking when everything's good. Not so much when, every, when things start to get stressful. So what's it look to, to live by faith in those moments of our lives when, when they're less than ideal? Well, that's what Abraham did, and, and he's going to show us today how to live by faith. Three things that we can learn from Abraham today. Here's the first one. You need to prioritize peace prioritize peace. Can anybody over 40 just say amen to me? <laughs> you know, when you're raising kids, and we're still raising kids, for I don't know how long we're going to raise kids, but it seems like we keep recycling. Can we get one done? We got another one coming. So we, we got kids. Man, when we, when we had our first kids, I saw a couple of you raising hands. Hallelujah. Still in that. When we had our first kid, we were looking for perfection. Now we just want peace. We just want peace. Um, when you look at that verse, that ain't got nothing to do with the message. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. Um, when you look at verse 8, it's Abraham that steps up and says, hey, we got a problem here, right? We got to do something about this. Why do you do that? Because Abraham understood this. If they allowed their herdsmen to keep fighting, it wouldn't be long before the issue would come between him and his nephew Lot. Why is that? Because that's the nature of conflict. That's just how it works. It's like a disease. It, it's going to continue to spread until it consumes every system, every organ in the body. Or for us Southerners, if you've lived in the South for very long, let me, let me put it in a way that you'll understand. That conflict is like kudzu. It's like kudzu. It grows fast. Seemingly out of nowhere, wraps itself around everything it touches until it strangles the life out of everything. Completely covers all the beauty that those things ever had. 
So like kudzu, like infections, conflict just doesn't go away on its own. And I want you to see what the word says in James chapter 3. I want to read verse 16 and verse 18. For wherever, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there'll be disorder and every kind of evil. Now verse 18 says this, And those who are peacemakers, you prioritize peace, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Jealousy and selfish ambition, those are plans that you have that are only really focused on what you want out of the deal. Jealousy and selfish ambition is usually the root of conflict. If you allow that devilish duo to take, to take their course, they'll throw your whole life out of order and invite every kind of evil into your life. John, how does that happen? How does that even start? It starts when you get offended by something, right? You get tweaked, you get upset, you get offended because somebody has something you want and you think you deserve it and it turns into jealousy. Or you get offended because somebody's withholding something that, that you think you should have. Or, so you put this plan into place to force them to give you what you think you deserve. So, so what do you do? You, you complain, you nag, you manipulate, you insult, you scheme, you talk behind their back. You create whatever situation you can think of to create in order to get what you, whatever it takes to get what you want. That's selfish ambition. It's conflict. So the, the, old, the, uh, the King James Version calls it strife. And it's rooted in offense. Do you know how many business partnerships... How many families, how many marriages, how many churches, how many sports teams have either fallen apart or just been rendered completely dysfunctional because they allowed conflict to grow unchecked? Nobody ever said anything. They just learned to deal with it until they could no longer deal with it, right? You know how many people are in jail, <laughs> How many people are in jail because they allowed their offense to go unchecked until it grew and grew and grew and invited every kind of evil into the situation and then it got completely out of control? People of God, we can't do that. If you're going to live by faith, then you're going to have to be like Abraham and prioritize peace. You need to surround yourself with peace. Not with conflict. Why? Because conflict drains your energy. And it distracts your focus. You can't follow God effectively if you're constantly offended or if you're jealous or if you're scheming something to get your way. I'm not talking about criticism or stuff from the outside. You can't really do anything about that. I'm talking about inner circle stuff. I'm talking about the people who are up close and personal in your life. You've got to prioritize peace. Look at Romans 12 and 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everybody. It's that important. People of faith do everything they can to live in peace with everybody. Especially, I would add, those who are closest to you. Constant conflict, constantly being offended, it has spiritual consequences. It can take you out of the flow of the anointing and the favor of God in your life. 
Does anybody want the anointing of God, the favor of God in their lives? Then you can't be offended. You can't be in conflict all the time. Look at Psalm 133. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's just three verses. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers will live together in unity, in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard uh, head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there, in the harmony, the Lord has pronounced or commanded his blessing, even life everlasting. Unity and harmony and peace command the blessing of God in our lives. Conflict is what disrupts the flow of the anointing that flows from the head to the feet. And if we're being honest, there's usually an element of pride involved in being offended. And when, when you allow pride in, then you know the blessings are going to stop because God resists the proud. Now, if you realize, like Abraham, that everything you have in your life comes from and is sustained by the Lord, then you have to prioritize peace. I've learned this the hard way in my life. Anybody ever run into some brick walls over and over again? Right? I have been, I've been, pull back the curtain a little bit today. I've been chewed out by by the pastor. I've been in ministry for over 30 years now. And I've been through some things, been chewed out by the pastor, and then we walked on the platform together. I'm trying to lead worship. He's trying to preach. It was terrible, both of them. It just doesn't work that way. You can't expect the blessing of the Lord on your mess, on your conflict, on your disunity. I've been in conflict with Valerie. I know that's surprising to you. 31 years of marriage, we had an argument or two. I've been in conflict with her and tried to preach or tried to teach or tried to lead worship. Listen, it does not work. We, Val and I, did this, we started doing this a long time ago. We've made it a point. I, I, if I'm trying to study, trying to prepare for, for a message, trying, really trying to do anything in my life, we do everything we can do to get ourselves back in harmony, back in unity before we ever try to do anything else. We've got to get that thing settled because you can't expect the blessing of the Lord in your conflict. When I was working here on staff, I've been here at Covenant Life for 25 years, worked for a previous pastor, for other, for other pastors for 15 years. And, and I, I made it a point, especially in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years before I became the pastor, that I would stick my head in the, in the pastor's office sometimes and I'd just say, are we okay? Because something just feels off. And I don't want us walking out on that platform together. See, learn the hard way. I don't want us walking out on that platform together and, we, and it's not good between us. Even as a pastor, I've had, I've had staff members that had an, an issue with me. And, you know, you can try to ignore that and try to make it go away. But, but I learned that you have to just sometimes go and meet it head on and say, things are not okay. Clearly things are not okay between us. We can't keep acting like everything's okay. We've got to do something about this. So listen, whether it's your church, whether it's your ministry, your business, your home, if you're expecting God to bless it, it has to be in harmony. It has to be in unity. 
So just like Abraham did with Lot, we have to prioritize peace to get rid of the conflict. Everybody okay? All right, here's the second thing uh, that, that Abraham did that shows us how to live by faith. We can put others first. We put others first. We live in a very me-first society. Have you noticed that? Putting others first is more and more a rare occurrence. But that's the call of God uh, on our lives. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 35. This is the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus told his disciples. He sat down. He called the 12 disciples to him. He said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be servant of everyone else. Mark 10, 42, the disciples were a little hard to learn this lesson. Jesus called them together. He said, you know the rulers of this world lord it over their people. They flaunt their authority over those who were under them. But among you, it's going to be different. Among my followers, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of everyone else. Because the Son of Man didn't even come to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress each other. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Or when I grew up, my mom would say, preferring your brother." Right? preferring those around you before yourself. And we could go on and on and on, with, but it's, it's very, very clear in Scripture. We have to, as followers of Jesus, as those who live by faith, we have to put others first. The world's way of prioritizing themselves is about getting what they think they need or want or deserve. They go first. Because they're trying to meet their own needs. So it's, I'm going to take everything I can get my hands on. People of faith realize their source is not in this world. Right? God is our source. He will make a way for our needs to be met. So go ahead and put others first. Go ahead and let them choose. Our blessing comes from Him, not from them. Abraham knew no matter what Lot chose, whether he went left or right, that Abraham was walking by faith and he was still going to be blessed. And that's the attitude we have to take first. You don't have to fight and strive and claw tooth and nail to get what you need. What did, what did the Lord say? Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then what you need will be added. Be added not fought for. See, putting others first goes really nicely with prioritizing peace as well because those, those two things go hand in hand. Let's look back at James uh, chapter 3, but I want to read uh, verse 17 in with it as well. L look at this. For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, where you've got conflict, there you're going to find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom uh, from above is, first of all, pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. And it's willing, oh goodness, it's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Don't we need the wisdom of God in our lives? The wisdom of God is what we want. And, and it's, it's what people who live by faith, who walk by faith, want in their lives. And, and the wisdom of God is pure. It has pure motives. You're not trying to manipulate. You're not trying to leverage. You're pure about what you're saying and doing. It's peace-loving. It's gentle. And it's willing to yield. Some people, some people take the Miley Cyrus approach to solving conflict. They come in like a wrecking ball, right? <laughs> Can I tell you a little secret? That's not what God had in mind when he said prioritize peace. But you've seen that, right? You've seen, you've seen people come in and demand peace. <laughs> that somebody comes in, steam coming out their ears like blood vessels about to burst. And they're like, we got a problem here and I'm going to solve it. Now, you get over there and you do that, and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this. Quit being such a, a whiny baby about everything. You go do what I told you to do, and I'm going to do my job, and this problem is solved. No, it's not. <laughs> You're just a jerk. You didn't solve anything. That's not how conflicts get resolved by people living by faith. What do he say? Gentle. Humble. You approach the conflict open. Is this the truth, y'all? Okay. You approach the conflict open to the possibility that you might actually have done something wrong. That is not one-sided. You approach the conflict willing to admit that you got offended and maybe you've misunderstood everything hereafter because you were offended. It clouded everything. Listen, if you're not ready to admit that you have some things to change, if you're, if you're only there to get them to change, if you're not willing to yield, then that's the definition of selfish ambition. And you're not truly ready to solve the conflict. See, this is not, your relationships can't, this can't be a win-lose situation. If the relationship doesn't win, you both lost. If one's a winner and one's a loser, then you didn't resolve the conflict. You beat them into submission. We've got to learn to pray and ask God to show us our wrong thinking, our wrong actions, our wrong attitudes. Y'all heard me say this for 10 years now. When Valerie and I have been through seasons of our marriage where things weren't great, where we weren't always glad to see each other, okay? And there were, man, there were times I remember in particular, I went out on the back porch and I was like, God, you got to get that woman. You got to do something with this woman. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do with her. And God said, well, why don't we start with you? And I was like, hello, <laughs> hello, God, something must be wrong with his line. So, no, he's very clearly I understood. Let's start with you. Now, that was surprising to me because I couldn't possibly have done anything wrong until he started showing me what I was doing wrong. Things in our marriage got way, way better really fast when I started fixing me and left God, left Valerie to God. Putting others first is important. You, you pray and ask God what you're doing wrong, what you're seeing wrong, what you're hearing wrong. The focus really is not on who's responsible for the wrong. It's on everybody taking responsibility for making it right. You put others first. 
to do that. Sometimes you have to recognize that even though you may have been well-intentioned, it may have had an unintended consequence. You may, have, you may not have intended to cause harm, but you did. Sometimes you do without meaning to. So what do you do? You apologize. You validate their feelings. You recognize their pain. And, and then you make it right. When you do that, it takes all the air out of the conflict. It takes all the air out. They feel heard. And they, the, the offense can be forgiven. And then you can work on making peace and moving forward. That's how you do what James said. You plant seeds of peace and you reap this harvest of righteousness. And that's where the faith comes in. You're believing that if you'll do things right, you do things the way God said to do them, that he'll bless the relationship with peace and with righteousness. And if you keep reading, then you find out that Abraham, uh, God blessed Abraham abundantly more than he could have ever imagined. As soon as they stopped the conflict, prioritized the peace, he let Lot choose and go his way, then God was able to bless Abraham over and over and over. And Lot was blessed by Abraham's continued faithfulness to him because their relationship was still good. The only way to win is to do it God's way. Prioritize peace and put others first. Now here's the last thing we can see out of this, uh, out of this account from Abraham's life. If you want to be a person who lives by faith the way Abraham did, then you have to commune consistently. Commune consistently. When you read the account of Abraham's life, you notice that everywhere he went, he built an altar and he worshiped. He communed with God. That communion with God defined his life. How do you think he was a man of faith? Because he stayed in communion with God. You, you, if you read the account of his life, he spoke with God face to face. He spoke with angels face to face on a fairly consistent basis. Now listen, I, you read those things. I'm not saying that Abraham ever took them lightly. I'm just saying that he spoke to God enough that when God showed up, he recognized him. Right? You, you keep reading in there and it says, The Lord spoke to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham. He knew him when he showed up. He knew his voice when he spoke to him because they talked enough. Those moments at the altar, those encounters with God were moments of sacrifice. They were moments of surrender. They were moments of service and repentance. They built his faith and they gave him direction. Remember, last week we talked about the call of God. What did God tell him? Two words, leave and go. That's all he got. So the only, he had to live by faith. He had nothing else to go by. So he had to stay on his face, on his knees, at the altar, in communion with God so he'd know what to do. And y'all, we have to do the same thing. We don't even know what tomorrow's going to hold, much less five years or ten years from now. We can act like we have a plan. We can act like we know what's going to happen, but we don't. We have to stay on our knees as well before the altar, communing with God, saying, okay, you brought me here. Now what? Now where am I going? If we, if we commune consistently with God, then it has the same effect on us that it had on Abraham. We become people who are living by faith. 
You say, but listen, Abraham could talk to God because, because Abraham was special. Listen, because we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, we're all special now. We have access to the Father, just like Abraham did. Hebrews says we can now come boldly to the throne of God's grace, and we can find mercy And we can find the grace that we need to keep walking. Abraham built altars and sacrificed animals. Jesus was the sacrifice. The blood has already been shed. The price has already been paid. Our faith in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is our access card. We can cry out to God as our father, as Abba, as our dad. We can talk to him anytime and anywhere we want to. The question I'm asking myself lately and the question that I feel like I should pose to you today is this. If all of that is true, and it is, then why don't we talk to him more? I'm not talking about the official prayer time that we try to have. That's important. Don't stop that. That's not what I'm saying. But like, why don't we talk? Why don't we walk around with this awareness that God is constantly with us and personally in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we constantly seek His guidance? Why do we relegate our conversations with God to the 15 or 20 or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is that we spend in our official prayer time? He's everywhere. Abraham would find a spot that he was going to hang out for a while and he'd go build an altar. Why aren't we building altars in the areas of our lives where, we're, where we spend the most time? Why don't we build an altar in our homes? Why don't we build an altar on our jobs? He's like, John, I don't think the boss wants me hauling rocks and mortar and stuff into the shop. Into the, not a stone altar. Don't drag rocks into the, into the workplace. I'm talking about a spiritual altar. Have you dedicated your office to Jesus? Have you prayed over your house? I'm a traveling salesman. Did you pray over your car? If you're in there like 10, 12 hours a day, it needs to be dedicated to the Lord. The Lord really dealt with me this week about walking in victory. And and I think we'll... I'll have more to talk about that as, as, as I'm learning what it is he's trying to show me. But, but I felt led to anoint my house this week and to just declare victory. Just declare victory. So I, I got the oil and I went and I anointed all the doorposts and I prayed over every room and every person in our house. Every entrance to our house. You might have, I don't know if you've noticed, but outside the church, you'll probably notice now when you walk out. You can see this thin, dark line that it surrounds the perimeter of the church. And, and, and that's because I took the oil and I anointed this place with oil and I prayed over it. And I don't remember how long that's been. It's been, I know, months, maybe a year or more since I did that. Listen, it's still there. You can still see it. The storms, the rain, the sunshine, the pitter-patter of little feet, none of that has washed it off. And I promise you, the enemy can still see it in the spiritual realm as well. 
See, when you commit yourself to living by faith, you will commune consistently with God. You will build altars everywhere in your life. And the mark of that communion with God will linger like the anointing oil through all the storms of life that you might face. You say, well, John, I don't, I'm not a preacher. Like, I don't have access to the special anointing oil catalog. You... You don't need special oil. It's not about the oil. It's about the communion with God. It's about the commitment to God. I have this little tiny thing of frankincense and myrrh that somebody gave me. But listen, y'all, I've used great value canola oil. I have made brownies with the same stuff I anoint my house with. (laughs) If you... And it went like Wesson oil, that works. You, I, I don't, whatever, whatever is not about the oil. If you're a truck driver, go get you some Quaker State 10W40 and get to praying, man. You make your truck, you make your office, you make the shop where you work, the store, the classroom, the factory, the house, your patrol car, your, the ambulance that you work on, the fire station, wherever you spend your time, mark it as a place where you're going to consistently commune with God. Now, don't go make a spectacle of yourself. I already told you, don't be hauling in rocks and being weird. It's, it's just, it's simply you saying, God, I want you to rule and reign in me while I'm in this place. I want my decisions, my conversation, the words that I speak, the actions that I take. I want everything that I do while I'm here to glorify you. I want to hear from you even when I'm here. I'm committing to talking to you about my actions and my attitudes while I'm here. Listen, living by faith is going to require that you do some things different. You've got to do some things different sometimes. You can't live like everybody else and get different results from everybody else. You have to get the conflict out of your life. You have to prioritize peace. You, you have to learn to surrender your rights and allow others to go first. That's so un-American, isn't it? Let surrendering rights. When you say, yeah, I could force the issue, but why would I? I love you. Just go on. Just go on. You have to learn to surrender those rights and, let, and trust that God will provide for you. And above all, you've got to constantly commune with God Everywhere you go, knowing that living by faith means that you, that you will hear His voice on an everyday basis. So let me ask you this today. Where is there conflict in your life that you need to find a solution for? Who have you been fighting with that you, could, that you could end it today by just saying, why don't you choose? You pick. I don't care anymore. I don't care because I value you more than I value my choice. It just doesn't matter. John, you're saying I just need to be a doormat, just let people take advantage of me all the time? No, I'm just saying most things are not a moral issue. Most things 
Most of the things we fight about are not a question of right and wrong. They're simply a personal preference or even a selfish preference. We're just fighting to have our way. Listen, you can't put a price on peace. Well, it cost me my choice. And okay, but you got peace, didn't you? <laughs> That's worth way more than you get in your way. You need the blessing of God to be commanded in your life. That only happens in harmony, in peace. Let me ask you this. Are you communing with God consistently? Are you, are you building altars in the places that you spend the most time? Are you dedicating not just those spaces, but the decisions that you make, the attitudes that you'll take while you're in those places? Have you done that? Living by faith means surrendering everything to Him. We've got to make sure we're doing that today. Y'all stand with me, please. John, why do you do an altar call? I do an altar call because you need three or four minutes to stand here in the presence of God and reflect on His Word. Not my words, on God's Word. Because there's something that happens when a person communicates the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit lets you know that it's true. It bears witness with your spirit. But he also shows you the areas where that, that word could be applied more clearly, more definitively. And so I want you to take just a few minutes to allow the Holy Spirit to do that for you right now. To speak that into your life. To show you the roots of offense. To show you the areas of your life where, where you need to uh, submit to one another. Where you need to put others first. Where you need to go create peace. Whatever it is the Lord's saying to you, let's listen to what he says and then do what he tells us to do. Other people, because, every, because we're just living our lives, we're doing our best every week. And so there are situations of our lives where we need to pray. We need to get God's wisdom. We need to hear what he's saying. So an altar is a great place to do that. So listen, if you need to respond to this message today, then you can come do that. If you want to come and pray about any situation of your life, you can come and do that. Either way. But let's give the Lord some time to say to us what we need to hear. All right, we'll be dismissed together in just a few minutes. We'll take in a couple, uh, about three members, and then we'll be dismissed together. But for these, for these sacred few minutes, let's hear what the Lord's saying today. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for each person today who is, who is listening and seeking your voice today. I pray that you'd speak loudly and clearly to us. God, I pray that you would meet every need and draw people to this altar that you want to meet here today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. 
At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.